Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Dr. E.J. McKenzie on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
upon the face of the earth. That's the original command of God. Jesus fulfilled that command, and by him being the head of the church, he he really has brought you and I into a place to share his authority, to share his power. Because the scripture clearly says in the book of Romans chapter 8 that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, a joint heir of Christ. So therefore he's called us into a place uh, of oneness with him to experience his victory, to experience him conquering Satan, to experience him overcoming all of the manipulation of the powers of darkness. I think there's a scripture in what uh, um, John um, 14, if I'm not mistaken, said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And it goes on to say, For in my Father's house there's many mansions. So, Jesus, if you would notice, never was troubled about absolutely nothing but one thing, which we saw uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let not your heart be troubled. When our heart is troubled, what is that? What is the evidence? What What is that saying? What is that revealing? What is that saying to us? When our hearts are troubled, that we don't believe. We're challenged with believing. If there's anything that you have been challenged with believing God, I'm sure all of us have. And most likely this is a situation that we've been in that is so overwhelming. It seemed like it was bigger, greater than God. Or we probably didn't think it was greater than God. We just probably think God wouldn't, God wouldn't move for you. We believe that he would move for everybody. I think that's probably the greatest challenge. We believe that he would move for everybody but us. When we read the word of the Lord, we see how he protected David as Saul pursued him. He protected David when the lion and the bear came to uh, eat one of the sheep. He protected him against Goliath. When we read that, those kinds of things, it should produce faith trust confidence in us concerning him faith trust confidence concerning the ability of God the greatness of God the awesomeness of God what calls David to believe God what calls Moses to believe him what calls Elijah and Elisha to believe him, to trust him. What caused Ruth to believe in and trust him? So all of these things 
It's not in the word of the Lord just to be in the word of the Lord, but in the word of the Lord for you and I. It's designed, when we read them, allow the Holy Spirit to make it personal to us. And not just to be another story because he's setting you up. Because he wants you to encounter, to experience him in a real way. You ever thought that maybe if you was one of the disciples, you would have it better because, you know, you you walked right along with Jesus, you ate with him, slept with him, and you did ministry with him? Have you ever thought, say, well, I would have it better if I was them? Not necessarily. You really have it better than the disciples did when they walked with Jesus upon the face of the earth. Because what they what made Jesus better towards them was not when uh, they walked with him when he was in his physical body. It's after they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and Christ came in them through the person of the Holy Spirit. That's when you would notice that their life was radically changed. Why didn't they believe and show great levels of faith with Jesus while Jesus was with them? Every day, basically, or almost every day, he challenged them, oh, you little faith, oh, ye of little faith, oh, ye little faith. We don't see that after Pentecost. We see men that was fearless, got men that was beat because they preached Christ, got beat and threatened, do not preach in that name anymore. And they went out and preached in that name again. We rather fear God than man. That don't sound like the same Peter, the same men that defected, forsook him. But yet, they saw great signs, wonders, miracles performed by Jesus. They was a part of those miracles. They saw they was with Jesus when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Peter, James, and John was with Jesus when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. All of them was with Christ and partook of the miracle. Excuse me, of the fish and the loaves. The lepers that was cleansed. The woman, the Phoenician woman who daughters were demon-possessed. This is amazing. All those miracles, matter of fact, I think it's Luke made this statement, I think, that the whole, all the books in the world could not contain all of the great things that Jesus did in those three and a half years. That means, man, every day, every single day, it had to be Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But you notice that it never affected change. 
they still forsook him, being in the midst of the greatest teacher in the world. Nobody could have, couldn't, there's no teacher alive or ever been alive, probably taught on a greater level than Jesus. They say he taught as one with authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees, but he taught as one with authority. Those disciples was with him. All during that time. But yet, they still doubted. But after the day of Pentecost, when they was baptized with the Holy Ghost and with power, we saw their life radically change. Now, what was the difference? Because they didn't have Christ externally, they had Christ internally. And he became more of a reality. And and that's kind of hard to explain for him to become a reality within them and not a reality outside of them. That should show you and I something. Look at Paul. Paul, um, according to what I've read, has never, he never encountered Jesus in the flesh. But he encountered Jesus in the spirit. Never walked with Jesus, one of the twelve. But he was the greatest apostle out of all of the twelve. Didn't have him externally, but had him internally. Experienced him on the road of Damascus in the spirit in spirit form. And it left an everlasting impression upon him. His life was radically changed. Are you seeing this? So you and I have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. What do you think is the difference with Paul, Holy Spirit, and our Holy Spirit? It's absolutely none because there's only one Holy Spirit. But why was there a greater move of God in Paul's life than the average born-again believer's life? When Paul encountered Jesus, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, it radically changed his inner man. I want to get into something in a few minutes here but the baptism of the Holy Spirit we have is the focus of tongues we have diminished and brought God himself down to the level of a tongue the Holy Spirit is not a tongue he is God he is a person And that's what makes the Spirit of God 
powerless in the average born-again believer's life. We don't seek him, we seek tongues. And you get what you seek. If you want tongues, that's what you get. You get tongues. If you want him, then you can get him. And I think one of the greatest hindrances too in our day and time, we got too much knowledge. I mean, think about it. They didn't have a book on the Holy Spirit. That means they could not limit him. They did, they allowed themselves to submit, to submit, yield, and surrender to him. We got thousands of books on the Holy Spirit, thousands on the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I think knowledge has hurt us more than helped us. Because I personally believe this here. When we begin to write down many things about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, when we read that, we can find him based on what someone else wrote about him. If he wants to do something great or greater, we would limit him because our minds has already been, quote-unquote, renewed to what we read. So if you want to do something fresh, something new, something extraordinary, we most likely would hinder him because we would say, I read this. So that can't be the Holy Spirit. I read that. That can't be the Holy Spirit. The first century church did not have, they did not have any books to read. They didn't even have a Bible to read. They heard the word on the Sabbath read by the priests in the synagogue. But what did they have? They had a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, allowing him to lead them and guide them and direct them into all truth. They didn't have a Bible, so what was truth? Truth is Christ. Truth is a person. And they did more signs, wonders, and miracles than the church is performing today. But why is that? Because the Holy Spirit was a reality to them. They never sought tongues. Tongues came. And you want to know the most fascinating thing, too? When Jesus was baptized, and he came out of the water, and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, and there was a declaration from heaven, this is my beloved son, and who I am well pleased. You ever notice in the witness scripture we see that Jesus spoke in tongues? We never read it. 
that he spoke in tongues. But yet there was great signs, wonders, and miracles that was wrought. He exercised dominion over the creative realm of God. He restored back to humanity what Adam lost. But yet, at the same time, he never spoke in tongues. We're not diminishing, uh, diluting tongues, not at all. That's not the purpose. Before I spoke in tongues, God was using me in healings and miracles. But I wanted the tongues. I wanted the tongues. Why did I want the tongues? I wanted the tongues because everybody in my church, basically everybody in my church was speaking in tongues. So I felt like I wasn't spiritual, but yet I was doing spiritual things, and I was living a spiritual life, but I wanted the tongues. The show should show you something about my immaturity at that time. God is bigger than tongues. God is God. Ladies and gentlemen, you are awesome, dynamite, powerful. Even if you have not spoken in tongues, all you got to do is look at your own life. Are you living a victorious life, those of you that are speaking in tongues? Are you living living a victorious life over all opposition that challenges you? A victorious life over sin? Are you living victorious over lying spirits? Are you living victorious over spirits of perversion? Are you living victorious over religious spirits, Jezebel spirits? It's a victorious life, and the key, ladies and gentlemen, is not tongues or anything else. It is you and I accepting a life and allowing that life to live its life through us. Do you notice in the word of the Lord that Jesus says that it was the Father that was doing the works in him and through him? He said the Father doing the works. Christ wants to do the works in us and through us. Christ wants to be our victor. Christ wants to be our conqueror. Personally, Christ wants to be our overcomer. Christ wants to be our divine health. Christ wants to be our peace in the midst of every storm. Christ wants to be our everything. That's what Christ really, really desired to be. We know he is, but is he to me? Is he to me? Is he through me? If he's not, once again, he's nothing but a theory. He's nothing but a theory. So I'm not sure because I have not experienced. I only know what the preacher tell me. I know what I read in the book, what I read in the Bible. But I have not experienced or encountered him myself. So therefore, I don't have a testimony. The power to bring others to Christ is the power of what Christ done in you and I. Otherwise, it's a theory that I'm sharing with them.
nothing more, nothing less but a theory. And that is why God wanted to bring us to the place, ladies and gentlemen, that you and I walk in experience overcoming authority and power. Now I want to share some principles with you uh, from the word of the Lord that the Lord spoke to us on yesterday. God kind of had been having me in this vein for the last, I say, month, dealing with reconciliation, probably more than the last couple of months, because I, uh, my wife brought to my attention that uh, on one of the prayer lines, uh, the last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we prayed a prayer from the perspective of uh, reconciliation. But I want to share something with you, ladies and gentlemen, and you need to hear the heart and the mind of God. The cross is the most, probably the most powerful uh, message that we ever could preach or teach, but just to preach it means nothing. The cross really is the victory for humanity, the victory for the earth. Everything hinges upon the cross. Our victory, our overcoming, everything hinges there because that's really where Satan really was conquered and defeated. He really was conquered and defeated there. Everything operates from there. Now, everything I shared with you coming up to this particular point leads us into what I'm going to share with you now. About a testimony, faith, encountering him. You ever notice the Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight and and a lot of emphasis in the Bible is on faith. It Old Testament as well as New Testament. The when we look in the Word of the Lord, when the Scripture says the just shall live by faith, that is an Old Testament quote. The just shall live by faith. If there's such a demand on you and I living by faith, then it must be something to it, and Jesus himself had to live by faith. John 1, verse 29 or 30, I wanted to solidify that scripture. John made a declaration, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, when was sin taken out of the world? On the cross. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, sin was taken out of the world. But notice John makes the declaration that Jesus was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But he had not died. So Jesus... 
was living by faith and operating by faith in the earth realm as something had already happened when it had not manifested. It had not fully manifested. Remember in John chapter 11, when Lazarus was sick, and the Bible says that Martha and Mary sent for Jesus because their brother was sick. And the Bible says he died. He's, Jesus stayed in the place it was three full extra days, and his brother died. Jesus, on his way to raise Lazarus from the dead, Martha meets him. And she said, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. What was Jesus' response? He says to her, do you believe that he will rise? See, yeah, he's going to rise in the resurrection. He says to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you believe in me, though you die, you will live again. How in the world can you be the resurrection? Jesus, you haven't died. Are, are, are you getting this? He's walking by faith and not by sight. He's living in the earth realm and walking in the earth realm like he have already died and defeated and conquered Satan and conquered sin and death. He said, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. He says, I am the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I am the resurrection. I am not going to be. I'm going to die one day, and I'm going to rise. Are you noticing faith here? Are you noticing faith? So Jesus lived like it was already done and accomplished before he himself actually died and conquered Satan, sin, and death. How could it be? That's what faith is. Faith, uh, remember the scripture concerning Abraham? Abraham believed God and was what? Accounted to him for what? Righteousness. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's what made the Jewish nation a legitimate nation, Abraham's obedience. He believed and he obeyed and got credited. That's the word account means to credit, accredited to him for righteousness. Okay, because you did this act, because you believe me, there's a nation that's going to come out of you and is guaranteed based on your obedience. Based on what 
you did solidifies and guarantees a nation is going to come out of your loins. That's how Jesus operated. Now, I want to start here because this is vital. Not start here, but this next phase that we understand. I was uh, thinking about this, but the Spirit of God began to deal with me and speak to me uh, in one of my devotional times. And uh, uh, I was been teaching and I was sharing with you about uh, reconciliation. And uh, uh, one of the scriptures that we were sharing was concerning the miracle of the fish and the loaves. And I want to read that verse of scripture uh, uh, to you in the book of Mark chapter 6 where Jesus uh, was ministering to the multitude and the disciples came to him and said, send the people away to the market so they can get something to eat. Another uh, uh, book says it was in a desert place. And Jesus said, what do you have? What do you have? We want to have uh, two fish and five loaves of bread. Bring them to me. He takes them and he bless them. Now you got to understand the original command of God concerning Adam. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you'll notice when God created certain things in the Bible, and he blessed it. Certain things he said, and it was good. And he blessed it, and he blessed it, and he blessed it, and he blessed it. And notice what he blessed, he gave a command after he blessed it. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So everything that is blessed is designed to be fruitful, is designed to multiply. So he takes this bread and he blessed it. Where do bread come from? Bread is what? Grain. Fish, where did it come from? It come from the water. So he takes what he had created. And when he blessed it, he commanded it. It really, I won't say he commanded it, but when he blessed it, he brought it back up under the authority and power of God himself. That means it is no longer up under the influence of Satan, sin, and death. It's under the influence of heaven now. So he blessed it, break it, and it began to, and give it, gave it to them, and it began to multiply. You know the story. 
But you got to get this and not and let it not be a story. And they begin to multiply. Then the word of the Lord says immediately after he finished teaching, after he finished teaching and he worked a miracle of feeding the 5,000, he immediately tells him to get into the boat and go to the other side. He goes into the mountainside praying. As he's praying, he's seeing the disciples uh, experiencing contrary winds. He comes down to the boat, walk on the water, get in the boat, wind cease. Now let's look at this particular verse of scripture, if you will, because this is the essence, I believe, that God is taking the church. That we begin to not understand this only, but appropriate it. Let me ask you this question before I read this. Do you believe that the ability to break bread and fish, to bless bread, and I'm putting it up in the order of Jesus. Do you believe the ability to bless bread, break bread, for bread to multiply is in you? I know the majority of you probably going to say yes, but do you really believe it? Because it is in you. It's in me. The same person that was in Christ is in us, the Holy Spirit. So it will multiply. So verse 52 of Mark 6, notice what uh, the word of the Lord said. For they failed to consider or understand the teaching and meaning of the miracle of the lows. In fact, their hearts had grown callous, had become dull, and had lost the power of understanding. But I want to focus on the first part of that verse. And that's what God began to, in one of my uh, morning devotion, one of my times, and uh, last week I was spending with the Lord, and the Lord just, I wasn't looking at this, He just brought it back to my attention. Because He wanted to mean to further investigate and bring greater level of clarity where he wants to do that to his people. Now let's look at it again, if you will, the first part. For they fail to consider or understand the teaching and meaning of the miracle of the loaves. The reason they panic, this is what Jesus is saying here, the reason they panic when contrary winds begin to blow, is because they did not learn a lesson from the teaching and the miracle of the loaves. The miracle of the loaves. They didn't learn the lesson of the miracle of the loaves. Well, then there was a lesson in it, he said. If they had got the lesson, when contrary winds begin to blow, then they would not have panic at all. They would accomplish the assignment that Jesus gave them, go to the other side. Go to the other side. And when I was in my own devotion, the Lord began to speak to me. He said, you taught this, but what was the teaching? What was I'm, I was trying to get 
the disciples to understand for them not to panic. What, what 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 was the essence? Because son, if if they didn't understand the teaching, and they didn't understand the miracle, what make you think that my people today understand the teaching and understand the miracle? Because isn't my people? Now he didn't say all this to me uh, uh, at the time. Uh, he's saying it to me now. <laughs> Uh, isn't my people panicking right now in the midst of contrary winds? When I speak prophetically over their life that I'm doing a thing and, and contrary winds begin to blow, do my people panic like the disciples panicked and was afraid? So when... I speak to them in the devotional time when I speak them through their leadership. When I speak to them through any assigned authority and they hear the word that I spoke to them through them or when I speak to them personally. And when contrary winds begin to blow, how do my people respond? If they respond like the disciples then out of all this teaching, out of all these books, out of all the information that's on the Internet, then have they learned the lesson from the message? How many meetings my people has been into? Supernatural meetings. Benny Hinn, Catherine Kuma, the Copelands. How many people have been in our meetings and they've seen healings, they've seen miracles performed? Have they received, gleaned, grasped the meaning of the teachings and the miracle? How would we know their response? Notice Jesus was walking on the water in the midst of a hurricane. Contrary winds. Jesus was right in the midst of the contrary winds, and as soon as he got in the boat, the contrary winds, they cease. So it got to be a lesson here. To me, this is one of the most powerful lessons that the Lord can speak to us. So he says the key was understanding the miracle of the loaves. The key was to understand the miracle of the loaves. Let's look at the definition of the word miracle. A miracle is the demonstration of the authority and power of redemption. The reversal of the effects of sin on humanity and God's creation. Death is a direct consequence of sin and sickness is uh, its precursor. Now, I know I probably got some people from Panama listening to this. 
and you didn't hear that last part of the definition. I didn't put that in there yesterday. But the key is powerful definition. This is what he was trying to get them. A miracle just was wrong. And notice the definition of the word miracle again. A miracle is the demonstration of the authority and power of redemption. Of what? Redemption. It is the reversal of the effects of sin. The reversal of the effects of sin on humanity and God's creation. That's why I ended yesterday. So let's break this down. You 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 probably need to get the 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 um, message from yesterday and go over and over it again. So a miracle is the authority and power of redemption. It is the reversal of the effects of sin and death on humanity and God's creation. So are you telling me, now watch this right here, the reversal of the effects of sin. Before Adam's sin was there hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes. No. Before Adam's sin was there death, did anything die? No, death was introduced through his sin. Before Adam's sin, did anyone ever get sick? No, sickness is a precursor of death itself. Sickness and disease is incipient death. It's the revelation that death uh, um, is at work. Interesting. So what was he trying to do? He was trying to get them to see that he was Lord over sin, death, and he was Lord over God's creation. He was the Redeemer. And they was in relationship with him. So therefore, he was showing them this is really how the second man, Adam, should have been operated and working in the earth realm. Taking dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the face of the earth. He was showing them that I am the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Other words, when contrary winds begin to blow, Sin had no right to the wind because Jesus, which is the word, created the wind. The sea belonged to God. Sin have no right to stir you up. I am here to redeem you. I am the Redeemer. When there was not enough food to feed the people, are you getting this? And even the scripture, Matthew six thirty three, is coming to a greater clarity to you now. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And he says, and the above verse says, the pagans, 
the heathen, pray for food, clothing, and shelter? Is it becoming clearer to us? So he was showing them that he is the redeemer of humanity. He is the redeemer of God's creation. So when he took the fish and the loaves of bread and blessed them, he delivered them, redeemed them from sin. What Jesus was doing, he was living by faith that he was going to die to set the human race free from sin and death and to set God's creation free from sin and death. Are you getting this? That's what he wanted them to grasp, to comprehend and to understand. And we don't know what he taught, but he taught and he, and he, he always did it this way. He taught and demonstrated. Taught the kingdom. His primary message was the kingdom. He taught the kingdom and demonstrated it. Taught the kingdom and demonstrated it. Taught the kingdom and demonstrated it. So we see, according to uh, the word of the Lord here, that what he wanted them to comprehend, what he wanted them to grasp, was uh, that because they are his disciples in relationship with him, who is the redeemer of humanity and the redeemer of his creation, and the only way that creation could be redeemed and humanity could be redeemed, then that means somebody had to pay a price. He said, I am the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And what did Jesus do? He lived and operated like sin was already conquered. You say, well, what about the miracles in the Old Testament? The miracles in the Old Testament was wrought by covenant men of God. God entered into a covenant with a man named Abraham. So therefore, to enter into a covenant with someone, you become one with the person you enter the covenant with. That means God now has a legal right into the earth realm uh, through covenant relationship. So when we see Elijah and Elisha performing great signs, wonders, and miracles, it's the same as Jesus. Same as Jesus. Same as Jesus. But the difference is uh, they wasn't redeemers. They was covenant men and women. Jesus was the redeemer. And Jesus was the conqueror of sin. Jesus was the victor of sin and death. That's what he was, he was showing them. That's the lesson he wanted them to get. Remember another time? Jesus made a declaration to them, said, I want you to be mindful of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. Here it is again. They start reasoning among them, said, did you bring bread? No, I didn't bring it. Did you? No, I didn't bring it. Did you? No, I didn't bring it. Did you? No, I didn't bring it. He said, why are you reasoning amongst them about bread? Don't you remember? 5,000, 4,000, how many of are left over? You, you all still don't get it. You are talking about bread. Bread is the last thing on my mind. Don't you understand that I am the redeemer 
of sin and death and that everything in this realm is at my disposal and I'm not subject to this realm, but I'm Lord over this realm. If I need bread, don't you know I can just, listen, you don't see it, the multiplication of the bread, showing you that bread is redeemed from sin. Bread is redeemed from death. I'm Lord over bread. Don't you remember the multiplication? You still haven't gotten the lesson. You still haven't learned. And you're reasoning about bread. You're reasoning about bread. So the miracle did nothing for you. Or the miracles haven't did anything for you. You don't remember the lepers being cleansed? You don't remember the lady with the issue of blood? You still don't get it. And think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Even the woman with the issue of blood, he turns around and says to the woman, after she pulled life or power from him, and he says to the woman, your faith has made you whole. Your what? Your faith has made you whole. Faith in who? Faith in me. That springs from faith in God. That's the way I actually read in the Greek. Faith in me, that springs from faith in God, has made you whole. Interesting. Interesting. How does that tie into sin, death, redemption? There's another situation that took place. And this, to me, is the icing on the cake, and this will help you to really grasp and comprehend this thing. Jesus was in a man's house one day, and he was teaching. And great crowds uh, came to hear him peep in the window, front door. There was two gentlemen who had a friend that was paralyzed. And they brought the man, their friend, to Jesus to be healed. Gets to the house, couldn't get in the house because of the great crowd. The Bible says that they went on top of the roof, tore the roof up, and they let their friend down. Jesus looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven you. The Bible said the scribes and the Pharisees start reasoning amongst themselves. So who does this man think he is? He's speaking blasphemous words. He blaspheme against the word of God. And Jesus makes this statement, which is easier. To say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk. He said, which one is easier? Which one is easier? Are you grasping this? Are you comprehending this? Notice he's associating the man's healing with the remover of the man's sins. Are you getting this? He, he, he's associating the man's healing with the remover of the man's sins. When Jesus got in the boat and walked in the boat, got a uh, walk on the water and got in the boat and the wind ceased, what, what is that showing? The removal of sins right 
to the storm, to the wind and the sea. I have redeemed the wind. I have redeemed the ocean. I have redeemed this man from his sins. And the man got up and walked. Are, 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 are you getting this? As you and I grasp this and, and, and continue to walk in this, I've been challenged based all day. Talk this message as they've been challenged based all day and been, been battling and battling and battling and battling and battling. Decree and declare my sins has been removed. Sickness has no right over me. And we demonstrated that yesterday. And turn around and I get challenged today. <laughs> Is that just the way it works? Sin have no right to you. I'm going to say sickness and disease have no right to you and I because our sins has been removed. Jesus said, which one is easier? Which one is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to rise and walk. Jesus told the man your sins has been forgiven. And the religious leaders was in an uproar. I'll just go ahead and make that declaration with me. Say, my sin has been forgiven me. Sickness and disease have no right to me. Come on, say it. My sins has been forgiven me. Oh, my, my time is up. Sickness and disease have no right to me. Say, my sins has been forgiven me. Poverty have no right to me. My sins has been forgiven me. Chaos and confusion have no right to me. My sins has been forgiven me. Divorce have no right to me. My sins has been forgiven me. Go ahead and say it. See, see if we understand, ladies and gentlemen, this is the greatest thing that, that, that you and I can comprehend. The time the Lord spoke to me, and 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 we got quite a few people that was uh, at, at service that time, a prayer meeting, and had me to rise up and speak to the hurricane commanded to move. And I sure help you to understand. And it moved, coming head on for South Florida. And it moved. But we're satisfied with church services. I got, I know, I got to close. I'm getting ready to close. We're satisfied with church services and not demonstrating and walking and strengthening the power as the church of the living God. Well, my time is up. Well, maybe we will continue this tomorrow if the Lord uh, permit. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to stop being, we, we, we are going to stop being manipulated by Satan. He's always getting you and I to try to be conscious of mistakes and errors. And his goal is this right here. If I can just get you to be sin conscious, just to focus on the mistakes and the errors you made, I know God is on hold. God is put on hold, and God can do nothing in your life, and God will not do anything in your life, and you can't even do anything because you're focused on your sin and the mistakes that you made. Excuse me. And you are not focused on the victory that has already been won, the sin that has already been taken away. Jesus conquered sin. He died to sin once and once and for all. The scriptures say that he dies no more. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this has been your host, Dr. Jimmy Kinsley, the Master Key. Keep me in prayer, if you will. Let's pray for one another. And don't pray for me that God do something he's already done. Pray that I walk in the victory of what Jesus has already accomplished and done. I'm praying the same for you. I don't care what your challenge is. Somebody call, uh, uh, let me know that they experienced foreclosure uh, uh, um, the other day. Um, now, we've got to say we got to do our part, too. And if I do sin, let me confess it. He's faithful just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But we will battle and stand on the unadulterated infallible word of the living God. Sin have no right to us, and we will exercise that. And now we, now the church is going to gain momentum. The kingdom of God is going to be advanced even in a greater dimension. In a greater dimension. This is your due season, your set time. Better matter of fact, God is opening these things up to our understanding in a greater dimension. Let us know he's preparing us to be recipients uh, of all, the th- uh, not all, but everything that he's promised us, ladies and gentlemen, it is ours. We receive it by faith now, like Jesus walked in faith then. We walk in faith now. We don't wait for manifestation. Manifestation comes as a result of our faith, our trust, our confidence. Sin cannot stop you and I. It has been defeated and conquered, and death. Death will not call the shots on your life. Death will not tell you when you're going to die. You're going to tell death when you're going to leave here. Because you will get a revelation that it's your time, it's your season, and you will make the choice. You will not let death make the choice for you. I will not let death make the choice for me. But I will make the choice and tell death, death, I'm getting ready to leave and go be with my father. We love you. Thank God for you. Appreciate you to the highest. Once again, this has been your host, Dr. Jimmy Kiss with the Master Key. Let the rest of your day be blessed.